You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here with us. So if I can ask a question as we get started, uh, anybody here consider themselves a competitive person? Anybody? All right. Oh, wow. A lot of you. Very good. Uh, you, what's weird is the ultra competitive people looked on and they were like, I'm so much more competitive than those people who raised their hand. Uh, but in the spirit of full disclosure, I am a super competitive person. Like I can turn anything into a competition, even when the other person doesn't want to compete. Uh, that just means I can defeat them easier. So a couple of years ago, I bought a grill, but I bought it off Amazon. So when it got to my house, it was just in a million pieces. Um, and so I started building the grill in my kitchen. And after about 30 minutes, my wife says, hey, do you want to take a break so we can have dinner? And I said, no, because I'll have this done in 15 minutes. And she disagreed with my projection and said, Bob, there is no way you're going to be done in 15 minutes. And I said, there's no way that I won't. In 20 minutes, there will be burgers cooked, being cooked on this grill. And she says, you know what? And she goes over to the oven and she puts 20 minutes. She goes, I gave you an extra five minutes and you still can't get it done in that amount of time. So I'm like, challenge accepted. And I just started working as fast as humanly possible on this grill because no matter what, I'm going to finish. And anyway, now, before accepting the challenge, I should have realized that it had like a side burner and there's like electrical things to connect, but whatever, I'm still going to win. So uh, 20 minutes later, the buzzer starts going off. I'm putting in the last two screws ready to proclaim like, and that's how it's done, people, right? And so now in all fairness, and this is just, uh, just to let you guys know, I am so good at building things like this. I am so good, I don't even need all the parts that they send me. Because I can build stuff, and there's all these extra pieces I didn't need. It's like, wow, you're that good. So anyway, so I, I, I stand up 20 minutes later, and I announce that I've won. And I'm like, what do you think? And Carrie's like, Bob, I'm very impressed that you finished in 20 minutes. Um, you built the grill backwards. So if you like this thing, you will burn to death. But I'm very impressed. And anyway, then I look, and... You know, and you look and you realize like, oh, I was reading this thing upside down. You know, and then 45 minutes later, I had to take everything apart and then rebuild it. So then we finally sit down. Now more than an hour has passed since she said, hey, do you want to take a break? So then she, um, she says, hey, you know how sometimes I say I'll be ready in five minutes and it takes me a little bit more time? Uh, yeah, you're never going to complain again about that. All right. So... I don't know, the reason I tell you that is I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you just completely missed the point. The point wasn't finishing in 20 minutes, right? The point is building this thing correctly and no matter how much time it takes. And, and, and I tell you this because the reality is in your life and in mine, it's possible to be working hard and miss the point completely. It's possible to actually be doing good things and miss the point completely because we miss the thing that we're actually supposed to be doing. And the church that we've been looking at 
This is exactly what happened. They were as gifted as can be. They were working hard. And yet, listen, they were missing the point. And that's why they needed correction. Now, sometimes people read what we've been reading in 1 Corinthians, they get frustrated. Like, I can't believe these people. I'm so grateful that these people were knuckleheads because we get to learn everything they were doing wrong and there's all this instruction that we get because of it. So I tell you this because we are in, if you can believe this, the 18th message in a series that we've been calling A Beautiful Mass. The Apostle Paul planted this church in Corinth. Corinth, if you're not aware, is a city in southern Greece. He planted this church, spent a couple of years there, and then he left, turned it over to local leaders, and he went to plant other churches. But Paul finds out, he gets word that this church that he had planted is full of infighting and division. So he sends them the letter that we've been studying now for the last several months. And he's telling them in this letter and encouraging them, listen, that what the world needs right now, a world that's divided, needs a church that's United. Now, just to kind of give you a 35,000-foot view of this book, just if you haven't been with us, or even if you have, or maybe you're here and you're asleep, uh, the way it works is the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians is Paul correcting everything that's going on in this church. They were a total mess. So he's correcting this. Then, in chapter 7, he says, now concerning the things that you wrote to me. Because apparently the Corinthians had written Paul a letter saying, hey, we have some questions about life and theology and how does it work being a Christian and all these things. And so for the rest of the book, he's really just answering the questions that they have. So in chapter 7, he talks about marriage and singleness and how does that work for Christians. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, he deals with a very specific issue that they were having in Corinth and that there were Christians on both sides of the argument. And Paul talks about how do we deal with disagreements without vilifying the other person. And what, he, what his remedy is, he says, if you're the mature one, sometimes you've got to curb your freedom for the sake of others. And then he says that those who are weak in the faith, you've got to stop being offended all the time. And he says that that's a mark of someone who is weak, is that they're easily offended. And then in chapter 11, he changes gears and he talks about church services and how things ought to operate in a way that honors God. He talks about... Um, gender roles. He talks about how God has wired us. And then he talks about communion and how it transforms us. It connects us to God. It connects us to each other. And then in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. And this is kind of where we've been focusing for the last few weeks. He talks about how all of us have spiritual gifts. All of us have are members of the body of Christ. And he went into great detail describing the spiritual gifts. And then he stops at the end. He says, but I want to show you a more excellent way. And in chapter 13, he describes love. And, and the reason that he spends all this time talking about it is because love, he says, is really the only legitimate motivator for using our gifts. And now he's going to go back to the subject of spiritual gifts in chapter 14 and explain to them that not just how to use them, but the fact that they were missing the point. That even though they were gifted, they were using their gifts so that people thought they were spiritual giants and focusing the attention on them. And what Paul wants to do is set the record straight that it's just not about us. That if we're using our gifts to make it about us, we're misusing it. And I'm telling you, this is a key to life. And we're going to talk about this in our, in our time together. That whenever I try to make anything just about me, not just spiritual gifts or church, but I try to make my marriage, I try to make my friendships, I try to make everything about me. Listen, I'm going to miss it completely. And this is the thing that God is trying to save us from if we're not careful. So we're going to start in chapter 14 in verse 1. Here's what we read. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 
For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who speaks, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. If you if you're pause there with me, first thing I want to tell you is that the right gifts and the right motivation build up the church. Now, the thing that Paul tells us to do, two things that he tells us to do in the very beginning, and that is pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That is, that love is the proper motivation. Now, here's the thing about, he's not just telling us to passively be interested. When he talks about pursue love, the, the, the Greek word there is the same root word that's used for persecution. Now, someone who persecutes somebody else, are they like passively looking for these people that they're going to, no, no, no. This is like their full-time job. They're going out of their way to persecute them. He also says to desire spiritual gifts. That means to be zealous. What is a zealot? Someone who's radical for their cause, right? They're going to do anything they can. I mean, if I can explain it this way, um, I've been snorkeling a total of one time in my life. The first time I went also happened to be the last time, interestingly enough. And uh, the reason is because that whole breathing underwater thing is not natural for humans. And I've decided that that was no good for me. And so, but I had gone, I started snorkeling and I was doing okay. And then I kind of got disoriented and then I swallowed a bunch of water, which is not, I don't recommend that. I give that zero stars on Yelp. And uh, so then I, I, I started, and then I'm like, freaking out because I'd swallow a bunch of water. And then I banged my knee up against some coral. And I, I must have banged my knee pretty hard because blood started gushing everywhere. You know that saying, there's blood in the water? That's a real thing. Because when there was my blood in the water, all of these fish came out of nowhere. A school, or as I like to refer to them, a gang. Uh, they come out and they were like, Oh, the blood is delicious. Where is, where is the person that, that this came from? And so anyway, I'm in the process of getting mugged by all these fish. And I am like gasping, coming up, right? Trying to get air to get out of there. This gasping, this is the kind of passion that Paul is talking about. This isn't a passive desire. Oh yeah, that wouldn't that be, oh, what, if I just run into that, that'd be, no, no, no. Like the way that you're looking for breath is the way that he's saying you should be passionate about gifts, passionate about pursuing love. But he says specifically you should be passionate about prophesying. Now, I know that might sound confusing. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that, that we talked about how prophecy is not like some old guy with a beard, you know, and he's got a parchment and a quill, you know, and he's like writing something about the future. And that is prophecy isn't necessarily, it can be, foretelling the future, but most of the time it's foretelling the truths of God that have already been revealed. And that's why Paul contrasts these two spiritual gifts, prophecy in tongues, where prophecy is directed towards believers, tongues is directed towards God in, in, in your prayer time, but he, it's, prophecy is what God using people to get his message across. And a true prophecy, the, 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 the person who gives this prophetic word, it's always going to do one of three things. And if you're a note taker, you'll see it. The first thing that it'll do is edify. It's for edification. What does that mean? It means it builds us up. 
It teaches us something. We learn something and we grow in our faith. The second thing that it does is that it exhorts. That means it stirs us up. It challenges and motivates us to do something. And then the third thing is that it comforts us. That means it lifts us up. It, it, it encourages us to feel something. Now, here's the thing that you're, that's important to note. Good teaching always does all three. It challenges us to learn, it motivates us, and it causes us to feel something so that we do it. Why? Because have you noticed this in your life that you don't do anything until you learn something about it, but just learning about it isn't enough. Then you're motivated and you feel something enough that you're going to do something. Now, this is going to sound weird, and I'll just tell you this, but you know who gets this right? The late-night infomercial people. The late-night infomercial people have stumbled onto a spiritual truth, and they have no idea why it works because they have taken all three of these things. I mean, so think about this, all right? It's 2 in the morning, and you're sitting on your couch, and you're eating a bag of cheese puffs and a Diet Coke because you're watching your calories. And so you got that. And then a commercial starts. It's a doctor in a lab coat, and he comes out, and he starts telling you everything that's poor, that's bad about being overweight. Well, you know, there's all these things that will happen, and this and this can happen, and you're like, wow, oh, I didn't know that. And now they're educating you. And then someone, you know, then all these people come out of all different walks of life, and they say, I followed Dr. So-and-so's plan, and I lost 90 pounds in only eight days. <laughs> it's just incredible. I don't even, it's just amazing how it worked. I mean, you know, I, so, and then you're like, wow. And then they come out, and what do they do? They're like, now, this happened to these people. This can also happen to you. And if you just make 89 payments of $89.99, and yet, but wait, there's more. But think about what's happening. Once again, these guys have no idea they've stumbled onto a spiritual reality. All three of these things have to happen for us to do anything. And it's the thing that Paul is saying. This is why prophecy, this foretelling of God's truths is so powerful. This is why resolutions don't work. This is why, you know, I mean, the, the stats are that 95% of resolutions are abandoned by February 1st. And let's be honest, that's very generous, Let's be honest, by MLK weekend, some of us are back to like, you know, Twinkies and lemonade and, and the whole thing. And, and so what, what, why? Because we get motivated. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And yet, if we don't know what to do, or what happens is we have the knowledge of what to do and we have the motivation, but emotionally we're not moved to do it, then when something happens, we just go back to old patterns of behavior. So it's never just passion alone and it's never just information alone because a lot of us have information that we don't do anything with. But instead, listen, every spiritual decision that you've made, when you've, and you've, you've sat here and you've said, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna change, every spiritual decision that you've made is because you have been, you've come face to face with a truth, of, truth that God has shown you. You've been built up, you've learned about it, You've been stirred up and motivated and emotionally. You said, listen, it changes right here. That's how we grow. And that's why this gift is so powerful. And he's going to continue to compare these gifts starting in verse six. Look what he says. He says, but now brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, 
When they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? If the trumpet makes a certain sound, who will prepare for battle? Makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air? There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if you do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks shall be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I'll also pray with understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all, and yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you is this. is not, not only... Is it the right gift and the right motivation that build up the church? But it's the right forum that drives the use of the gift. Now, here is the point that Paul is making. If you are alone and you have this gift of tongues, then you praying in the Spirit is beneficial to you because it blesses you. But no one else is blessed with your personal prayer language if they don't have an understanding. But the person who prophesies, the person who can build others up and stir each other up and fire other people up, listen, they have the ability to bless everyone because there is understanding. That's why Paul says, I'd rather speak five words in a known tongue than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. And I had this happen. I, I really understood this when my wife and I were first married. And uh, when we were first married, and that was almost 25 years ago, by the way. And so, okay, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. We're not there yet. I'll let you know when we do. But we're, we're committed to 25. We've even committed to 26. So... Um, so, but when my wife and I were first married, we were at home and we were watching TV and we were flipping through the channels back when people did such things. And we, we, get, we turn on PBS and PBS was showing Que uh, Pasa USA, if you're familiar with that show. Fantastic. One of the greatest shows of all time. There you go. And everyone that clapped speaks Spanish. And um, now, Que Pasa USA is one of the funniest shows of all time. And I told her, she had never seen it. And I'm like, Kara, you're going to love this show. It's amazing. So we're watching, and I am laughing so hard that I'm crying. And every time something happens, she goes, why is that so funny? And, and now, because if you watch Kipas, you say most of the punchlines are in Spanish. And so she doesn't get it because my wife doesn't speak Spanish. And so now, but this is the principle as to what Paul is talking about, that it's like, it doesn't matter what language you speak in. If it's not the language that the person understands, it's lost on them. Because that's why he says, the, if you don't speak the language, the person can't say amen or agree or be moved. It's completely lost on them because the greatest message in the world doesn't move us if it's not understood. A few months later, after that, I, I, the, the tables were turned because I was now in her position. I went to Haiti on a missions trip 
And I, was, uh, I had spent a week in Port-au-Prince working with this church that had an orphanage there uh, in the mountains of Port-au-Prince. So I spent a week there. We were, uh, we were going to fly home. We're at the airport. And as we're eating lunch before we get on to the, go on the plane, uh, I look at the TV and they're showing the movie Beverly Hills Cop 3. Now, uh, I am a big fan of Eddie Murphy's early work. And so I'm like, oh, I love Beverly, the Beverly Hills Cop movies. So now I'm listening intently. The problem was it had been dubbed into Creole. And so now everyone around me is laughing except me. And I want to laugh, but I don't understand what's being said until Eddie Murphy, eh, eh, you know, he does the Eddie Murphy laugh, which that laugh transcends all cultures. And so, but it's the very same thing. And what Paul does is that he uses a simple illustration to show that people can only be edified when they understand what's being communicated. And he says, the strength of the gift of tongues privately is also its weakness publicly. And the strength of the gift of prophecy publicly is its, is its weakness privately. You see, and so what do you do? So let me ask you this question. How do you solve a problem or deal with a difficulty that comes into your life? So here, as Christians, here's what we'll usually say. And this is the right answer. We'll say, well, I, 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 I pray. Okay. And other times we'll say, well, I, I'll, I'll get some advice. I'll have someone. I'll try to learn something. Other times I'll just wait. And here's the thing that I've noted is that depending on what your gifts are is mostly what you're open to, or certainly most receptive to what you're willing to do. People with the gift of tr- tongues tend to be prayer warriors, and they want to pray about everything, which, by the way, is a good thing. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. But prayer is always the right place to start, but it's not always the right thing to do exclusively. Sometimes we've got to do something while we're praying. So, and like, hold on, did I come to a church service where the pastor said not to pray? <laughs> Follow me, I'm going to show you where God says that, and you're going to really be blown away. So let me, let me uh, say it this way. So in the book of Exodus chapter 14, probably one of the more famous scenes in the Bible, the children of Israel find themselves in front of the Red Sea. They find, they're in between two mountains, Piahiroth and Migdal. And then, so Piahiroth and Migdal next to them, the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. And then Moses, and, and, and if you saw the movie, uh, the, the old movie, The Ten Commandments, uh, with Charlton Heston as Moses and Yul Brenner as Pharaoh, if you've never seen it, you have homework to do because it's, it's worth watching. So what happens is um, this, this part didn't make it into the movie, the part, the big moment where he's like, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. But there's more to that story. So let me read to you what happens. So this is in Exodus chapter 14. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians see you today. Uh, the Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Keep going. That the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Okay. That's what you see in the movie. But there's this other part that the Bible records that I think is so powerful for us to understand is what happens next. Look at what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell these people to get moving. Like, stand back, see the salvation of the Lord. Oh God, what are we gonna do? What's this? And he's like, why are you talking to me? We've already settled what's going on. Start walking. 
And I'm, and I'm telling you, this is, sometimes we're praying and we're saying, man, what is God calling me to do? And then sometimes we're praying, and if we're being honest, we're, at, we, we're saying we're praying, but we're actually stalling. And it's time, listen, to say, I've been praying about the what, but God already told me the what. Now it's time to start walking and pray about the how and start, and start doing this. Now, listen, I don't, I don't talk about this ever, but... Uh, so my other world besides Calvary um, is helping pastors and other churches. And I'll, I'll do events and write books and do coaching and all this kind of stuff for pastors and church leaders and all that kind of stuff. And so when I was getting started in this about 10 years ago, I was reading a whole bunch of books about how to do this and how to get started. And, and then I, um, I was at a bookstore with my wife and I was going to buy another book. And my wife, her and I were just talking about this the other day. And my wife said to me, she says, Bob, what is in that book, this book you're going to buy, what is in there that you don't already know that's keeping you from starting? And I, I was, I'm like, nothing. And she's like, well, maybe it's time to stop stalling. And the reality is, is that I went home and I said, okay, I'm going to start. And you know what happened? Over the last 10 years, I've worked with, coached, and helped more than 20,000 churches in the last in the last. 10 years that have been either declining or plateaued, and now they're reaching people and adding services and building buildings. Amazing things are are happening with them. And I'm telling you, and I was stuck because I'm just like, yeah, man, I'm just trying to be prepared. You know, I'm just praying, trusting the Lord, you know. And then, you know, quoting random Bible verses. But, you know, sometimes, and this is the thing that I love, is that the reality was, and the, the thing I appreciate about my wife sharing like that very specific word with me was like, maybe it's time to stop stalling. And it's like, she just saw right through it that I was stalling because I was scared because I didn't want to fail. And listen, if God has told you to do something, it's just time to do it. And it's like, well, you already know what the what is. Now, if you want to pray about the how, that's fine, but it's time to do what God tells the people. Tell these people to get moving. Listen, it sometimes we got to pray because we're not sure what to do. And sometimes we're praying because we're still start stalling and it's time to get moving. Well, Paul's going to go on. Look what he says in uh, verse 20. He says this. He says, brethren, do not, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. In the law, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips. I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me. Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for believers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and, the, and all speak with tongues, and there's someone who comes in who's uninformed or unbeliever, will they not say you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in and he's convinced by all and convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing, and that is that the right environment brings blessing for everyone. Now, this is a challenging section because it seems like Paul is saying two different things. He's like, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And then he says, but if someone comes who doesn't believe in your, in your church service and hears someone speaking in tongues, they're going to say you're crazy. And so it's like, well, you're saying one thing and then you're contradicting yourself two verses later. And you're like, does the apostle Paul work for the CDC? And um, (laughs) 
was going to say maybe I shouldn't have said that, but you know what? That needed to be said. And so, anyway, <laughs> I'm glad you guys like that. I'm glad. So, now, the key to understanding this, because it seems very confusing, the key to understanding this is the, verse, the, the thing that's being quoted in verse 21. That's the key to unlocking this passage. Because he quotes two Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy 28 and Isaiah chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, now if you're not aware, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy as a word means second law. It is Moses at the end of his life retelling the law. It is separated. It's six sermons that Moses gives to the people of Israel at the end of his life before they go into the promised land and before he dies. And the first thing that he says in Deuteronomy 28 is that if you don't follow the Lord, then you are going to hear tongues that you don't understand from other nations who are going to come in and conquer you. That's the first part. He says other nations and other lips. And then the second part is a quotation from Isaiah 28, where Isaiah is recounting how the people made fun of him because he taught the people line upon line and precept upon precept. And he would just kind of go line by line through the Bible. And people were like, we don't want that. Give us something new and flashy. And uh, it's just funny. People don't change. Um, But just FYI, if you're not aware, I'm from the Isaiah school. Like line upon line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's how we do things and how we've always done them here. And so Isaiah says, if you won't learn line upon line and precept upon precept, then I'm going to send people from other tongues, other nations, and you'll learn through God's discipline. Now, this is the key to understanding what Paul is saying here, is that he's saying that tongues is a sign to those who do not believe, just like we saw in Deuteronomy and Isaiah. But prophecy, a word from God that we do understand, that's for believers, And remember the context of these Old Testament passages were Jewish people who were not walking with God. So the hearing of tongues was discipline to bring them back. But a message in their own language was the message from God for the people. The message in the other language was not edifying to them because it was a sign that the people of Israel had not believed and that judgment was coming. So that's why Paul says in verse 23, therefore in light of that, if you have a church service and everybody's speaking in tongues and going crazy, isn't every, aren't people going to think that you're out of your mind? And I experienced this. When we were first starting Calvary almost 21 years ago, I was trying to find a place for us to meet to have our first service. So I was talking to this property manager that owned this strip mall in the Miami Lakes area, and he's like, look, I don't have any space available, but in another strip mall that I own or that I manage, Uh, there's a church there so I can make the introduction and maybe you can work something out with them and meet at a different time than what they meet. So we drove over to this church that was meeting there off 57th Avenue in Miami Lakes and we walk into the church. This is in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, and they were having a service and everyone in the church was speaking in tongues. The place was going wild. The guy, and this guy was not a Christian and nowhere near becoming one. And uh, he walks in, he hears all of this, and people were just, they were really going, going for it. And he looks at me, and he's like, we got to get out of here. And he just runs out of there. He freaks out. And we're standing in the parking lot. And he goes, what was that? And by the way, why are you smiling? And I just thought the whole thing was hilarious. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. There's just this Bible verse that you totally helped me understand today. And it was this one. You're going to walk in, people are going to say you're out of your mind, because that's exactly what happened. And so, but then he goes on and he, what he's trying to do now is talk about 
There's got to be order in what's happening in your services. And, and uh, here's what he says in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for everybody. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. What he's, Paul's talking about is you've got to create order in the service. You cannot use your gifts and make yourself the center of attention. Ch- church can't be a free-for-all because in that way, no one enjoys the service, no one is growing, and God isn't honored where there's confusion. And I want you to notice something, and this is going to be important for the next section that we read, because he says, hey, if somebody is talking Everybody else has got to keep silent. If the one person says, I got to share something, then you know what? That guy talks, then the first person's got to keep silent. And the, the point is, he's like, and then don't blame God. No, 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 but I had this thing I had to share. I just, it was burning in me. And he's like, no, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That's saying every person can control themselves, even with their gift, and wait their turn. And that's when he says the last thing, and this is what we'll close on in verse 34. And he says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And look at that. We're out of time. I can't talk about this. What a shame. So no, I'm just, I'm just messing. All right. Now, this is one of the many reasons why you have to read the Bible in context to understand what's being said. Because if you just read that, you're like, Paul is some kind of chauvinist pig and he hates women and, and whatever. And, right, and you kind of go through the whole thing, right? And, and, here, and here's the problem. If you were with us, and if you weren't, you should have been, when we taught chapter 11. Remember when we taught chapter 11, one of the things we talked about is, we talked about head coverings and all that. And he talks about, and he says, just like how when women stand up in the service and pray or the women prophesy, He never says that that's wrong. He just says that there has to be an order to it. And so now, is it that he's just changing his mind here? Or is there something else that's going on? And this is the thing that's happening. Paul is asking for their services to be orderly because their services were out of control. And this is the important thing. It's not that women can't pray and women can't prophesy and build up, fire up, or lift up people. It said it has to be done orderly. The other thing you need to to know to understand this passage is that the early church followed the model of the ancient synagogue. Why? Because most of the early Christians were Jewish. And if this were an ancient synagogue, the way that it would work is there would be a big center aisle right down the middle, and all the women would sit on one side, and all the men would sit on the other. That's the way it was. In fact, if you come with us to Israel next year, and I hope all of you do, we'll go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, 
And you know what's going to happen when we go to the Wailing Wall? There's a division. They're going to make sure that all the men have head coverings on, and there'll be the, the men's side that you go to, and all the women will go to the women's side. And, and th- that is all for issues of modesty and, and whatnot. And so now, once again, this is how the church, the early church, was organized. Now here's, and, and this is the reason and why the problem was taking place. You see, there's things that happen and I see it because you guys are all facing, looking this way, but I'm looking this way. And there's many wonderful things that you see when you're looking this way. Because I'll say something, and you see, if, if, if all the girls were on one side and all the guys were on the other, and there was something that a wife wanted her husband to really pay attention to, it would be difficult for her to get, make sure that he's listening. Right now, there's just one simple move that I see happen every so often, and it looks like this. <laughs> this little elbow jab. <clears throat> I'm listening. I was awake the whole time. And uh, so there, there's that. But when you're across the room, you're 50 feet away, you're like, <coughs> um, amen, you listening, chump? And so there's, there's all of this. And so now, then there were also moments where... And, and once again, this, what's happening culturally is that women were saying, like, what, is these, what does that mean? And so now you've got a wife talking to her husband on the other side of the room, and he's saying, you can't do that. You can't disrupt the whole service and make the whole service about you. This is the whole point of what we've been talking about. His entire instruction in this chapter has been that we cannot selfishly come into the service and make it about us. We can't, that wives can't do that in the service because that was happening. Someone with a specific gift that's dying to use their gift can't do it and make it about them. The person who's just zealous for the gift but unwilling to be loving in their expression, they can't go ahead and make the service about them either. My friends, listen to me. This matters so much because this, I really believe, is the key to you having joy in your life. And it is completely counterintuitive that the secret to joy is recognizing that it can't be something that you seek. If you just say, I'm going to find my own happiness, I can assure you, you're going to be miserable. What you're going to learn is that joy is the byproduct of something else. It's the byproduct of living with purpose. It's the byproduct of walking with Jesus. And then the game totally changes. You see, in your marriage, when you stop making your marriage about you and you make it about the other person's joy and honoring God in your marriage, something wonderful will happen that you will find more joy than you thought was even possible. And I know that you're like, Pastor Bob, that just sounds like crazy talk. I'm going to make my marriage about this other person and that's going to give me joy. You're going to find more joy than you thought was even possible. And listen, I'm telling you, and if you don't believe me, watch the lives of people who make everything about them and ask yourself, how happy are they? They're miserable because life isn't lived that way. And this is true in every area of your life. When you decide I'm going to take the focus off of me and I'm going to put it on what God wants me to do, joy explodes in your life. And that doesn't matter. That that doesn't mean everything's perfect. In fact, there's a case to be made that joy in your life is seen more when things aren't perfect than when it's all smooth sailing. So my uh, my son turned 12 last week. And um, so thank you. So thank you for that. I'll I'll send those along to him. Zan, you got a little golf clap. And uh, people were moderately excited that you turned 12. 
I'm not too excited. But anyway, so we got him a few things that were on his uh, birthday list. But I had this idea when I was driving home from uh, church last week. And I, I, so I stop at Home Depot and I bought, I go to the moving section and I bought a moving box. I, sp- like a do- I spent a dollar on this moving box. And then I went to Target and I bought all of these things that he likes. So I came home and I filled the box with cinnamon toast crunch and double stuffed Oreos and Sour Patch Kids and Pringles and Funyuns and these pretzels that are called, these pretzel bites called Pretzilla. You ever heard of Pretzilla? It'll change your life. It's, it's fantastic. Anyway, so I put them all in the box. And I just wrote, I didn't even wrap it. I just wrote on the outside of the box, the box of awesome. And I put it on every side of the box. And so um, the morning of his birthday, we all had other presents for him. But then I had this big box, this big Home Depot moving box that just said the box of awesome. And he opens it up. And it's like, this is so great. This is all the stuff I like. And uh, also stuff I like too. Weird how that works. how the spirit moves people and uh so but here's the thing that's so cool so that night we have a movie night at our house and xander's like i know what i'm gonna do and he gets all the stuff from the box of awesome and he starts handing it out to all of us while we're watching the movie and i'm telling you matt we were just we were having so much fun and laughing together and because that's what carbs do and uh (laughs) and listen it's just it was so amazing the joy that it brought when he decided that his gift was not for him his gift was for everybody else. And here's the cool thing is that my daughter Mia and uh, my daughter Livy, they, they were like, I, I know what I want in my box of awesome because now apparently this has become a thing. And uh, so trademark pending. Um, and, and they were like, you know, but here's the cool thing. They were like, I know what I, I want in my box of awesome and we're all going to love it when, when I open it. And it was this moment where they said, it's going to bring so much joy when we share the gifts that we have with everyone. I've never seen that before with a gift. Hey, I bought you a video game. Like, oh, that's awesome. I'm enjoying it. But what was amazing was they were excited not to have it. They were excited to have it so they could share it. And that brought an even greater joy. I'm telling you, when you, you decide that your gifts are not just for you, joy will explode in your life. And my friends, that's what God wants for you, for joy to explode in your life. But you've got to decide that it's not about you. And that you're going to take the gifts that you have and serve other people and do something totally counterintuitive. And what you're going to find is that that's where joy was hiding all along. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. That you want, what your word says is you want our joy to be full. And we thank you for that. And so God, I just pray that we would have this moment, this prophetic moment where we've been built up and stirred up and lifted up. And now, because we've been taught and we've been challenged, that now we would be moved to do something different so that we could find the joy that we've been seeking, the harmony that we want in our homes. God, the good work that you want to do in us, may it start here right now. And we prayed in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. 
If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.